Hey, this is Andy Moran. You're listening to Appetite for Distortion with Brando. And welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 187. My name is Brando, another one of the, the sub-series, Feel Ma, Ma Quarantine, I'm here in my apartment in Woodside, Queens. Normally, I'm in the the beautiful iHeartRadio studios in New York City, but I'm here at home wearing. Uh, I shouldn't tell you that I'm wearing pajama pants at the moment. I mean, it's that's the beauty of radio, but it is what it is. However, uh, I appreciate every single one of you who have been helping me uh, keep down my cabin fever by taking part of this of this podcast of these uh, of these episodes and these interviews. And this is just a, a name uh, that has been, I guess, a part of my, not just Guns N' Roses' life, but just the, the folklore, if you love music, the, the days of the music video, and somebody, I, I'm really just honored. I, I think I'm not, I think that's the appropriate word. I don't think I, I could find a better word than just honored, honestly. So uh, Andy Morahan, I don't know, because I guess I'm, even though you're, you've been so nice in the email and stuff, I find myself, and I admit it, like a little <laughs> nervous, like a little nervous, because... I I grew up, I mean, November Rain and all these videos, George Michael, it's just like, wow. But you look at your resume and it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's as impressive as anybody's. Do you ever take time in your, your life now that we are all under quarantine and kind of sit back and be like, wow, look at everything that I've done? Does that happen often? Well, weirdly enough, I did a kind of inventory of um, all the videos that I, I'd worked on or done or directed or whatever um, about a year ago anyway and um, with the view of you know kind of writing it all down and you know from a kind of cultural point of view not that I particularly have a story or a book I want to sell or anything but um, I just thought it was a kind of interesting exercise of course now it's the perfect time to continue with that so I've been uh, kind of filing them into year by year and kind of chapters in my mind and and in you know the first artists I worked with and how one led to another and another led to another and um it's kind of fascinating kind of trawl through my adventures in rock and roll basically I you know I, I would like to think you would put out a book but I mean in a way your book kind of exists out there with music videos before we though we just get into all that the most important thing is how are you you know, you know, how are you dealing with this quarantine? Because you're in the UK at the moment. Uh, how yeah. how are things over there? It's got it got pretty bad over the last couple of weeks. But I'm, I don't live in London anymore. I live down in Somerset near Bristol and Bath, south of that in the countryside. So I I'm lucky. So uh, I mean, uh, the southwest is probably the least kind of dangerous place to be. Um, I have kids, you know, grown up kids who are living in, you know, working out of apartments in London, which is pretty, pretty uh, stir-crazy for them. But um, it seems to be easing off in London now. But, I mean, the last few weeks have been 
tough more for other people than than me. So um, I've been okay. Good. Were you? Uh, I mean, I'm assuming. Are you going stir crazy? Because I, I don't know the last time your your website. I mean, it seems pretty updated, and it just looks like you're. I mean, I don't know how you're fitting all of this into your schedule, these projects and movies and things that you're working on. Are, are they all well, on hold? Like, how are you handling Are you Or is this the perfect time to edit? <laughs> I just sit home and edit. No, no, no. It, it's, it, it's a weird thing because, you know, I mainly do movies now rather than music videos or commercials. And so I'm in the kind of third stage of what I want to do. And um, we, again, weirdly enough, before the lockdown, I was, I'd finished rewriting a script for some producers when we were just about to go out to cast that's called severance it's like a heist movie set in europe and then um i've also for some other producers been adapting a victor hugo novel called toilers of the sea which i've just finished um and again we're hoping for some people to read that now so i mean i'm pretty self-sufficient because i'm you know yes things are on hold i would but i wasn't technically fully in production on any of those yet it was kind of pre-production so just got to be patient with that and um but it gives me time you know there's that you know there's a couple of tv series i'm developing with people so you know it's actually a good time to concentrate on getting things done because you know my imdb or website there's a lot of stuff that is in development that hasn't happened yet or needs taking forward so um, you know I feel, in a funny kind of way, just as busy as ever. Okay. And, you know, and that's fun. It's fun to, to be able to concentrate, you know, rather than kind of chasing my tail a bit. Right on. And before I, I forget to, to ask, because one of your projects is right up my alley, you know, it's not all Guns N' Roses for me. I'm a huge uh, horror movie guy and a zombie guy. Uh, it says Project Z, uh, zombie comedy thriller uh, with a heavy metal soundtrack. So what's the status of that? Well, again, that was written by a Welsh guy called Richard Williams, um, and it's a very funny script because it kind of, um, it basically is about a kind of American guy with British, you know, Welsh heritage who comes back, he's inherited a farm, and then there's a kind of zombie apocalypse that happens <laughs> around this this small Welsh vi- uh, village, and um and, you know, part of when I got involved was, you know, I, it was perfect for a real metal, thrash metal type soundtrack. So, again, that's another project that is um, is on the cusp of, of being cast and, and, you know, there are various producers who are raising the finance on it. So uh, it's a fun project, that. It's a, a, a lot of fun. Awesome. I'm, I'm certainly looking out for, for that. Now... <laughs> I'm curious for someone like you, because I'm sure you've been asked um, about how you got started in the business, but I, I guess I'm, I'm curious specifically, what was the movie, like what was your favorite movie growing up? And I, I mean, I don't know if it was like a movie that you just liked or was it, what was the movie that you said, you know what, I want to, I want to do that. I want to film like that. I want to be on the other side of the camera. Was there a movie or two uh, when you were growing up that really took a hold of you? Well, it, it was a weird thing. Um, I come from a family um, who were in the business. My dad was a theatre film director, Christopher Morahan. My grandfather was a production designer, and his brother, D- uh, Tom Morahan and Dermot Morahan, and who did a lot of kind of movies and stuff. So I was kind of brought up in a you know in a culture of the arts and 
you know, theatre and film and stuff like that. So it was kind of in the blood anyway. Um, and I, my biggest influence, I think, really growing up, I was absolute nut for music. And, um, you know, there was amazing kind of TV shows, you know, in, in, in the UK in the, in the late sixties, like ready, steady, go. And the, you know, you know, the top of the pops in its infancy. And I was really influenced more by, you know, things like that and the Beatles and, and everything, you know, made funny little films and all that kind of for Sergeant Pepper and everything like that. Um, so I was more influenced by, you know, small faces, all that, you know, that kind of late, 60s. I mean, my brother had an older brother who was into all that stuff, so I, it was kind of hand-me-downs for me. Um, and then my really my era of you know, kind of taking that forward was in the early 70s, which was Bowie and T-Rex, and you know. But in those days, you know, you had Radical Soul with Marvin Gaye or Stevie Wonder. And, but we used to listen to everything. I was really into kind of southern rock as well, the Allman Brothers, you know, Leonard Skinner, all that kind of stuff. So it was really music that kind of drove me in terms of, um, you know, seeing, you know, and I used to play in various bands and then went to art college in 76 to St. Martin's, was there till 81. And, you know, in those days, that was kind of MTV in America was just starting to happen. And then early 80s, MTV Europe happened and a bunch of us, you know, Sophie Miller, myself, you know, Vaughn Arnell, you know, we're kind of the second, third generation music video directors. So suddenly, you know, every music company, record company wanted videos for their artists, you know, however cheap, they just wanted them. So we kind of came out of college and, you know, we were college, you know, St. Martin's is around Soho and we all got jobs as runners and, you know, PAs and, you know, and would you know, use short ends from other people's commercial shoots to make our own little videos and stuff like that. So it was kind of, for me, it was quite an organic kind of process. I was always a music nut. Okay. (laughs) And and so it wasn't specifically one film, you know. I mean, I was influenced by films which, you know, had music attached to it, you know, whether it was, you know, Easy Rider or, you know, stuff like that or Taxi Driver and, you Mm. know... I was kind of influenced more as a way of, you know, rather than a movie, but the kind of the use of music and the music of that era, late 60s, early 70s, that really kind of drove me to kind of pursue um, music videos once they became a kind of viable kind of art form in the late 70s, early 80s. And before we we miss it, you're because you mentioned the small faces, you're also working on a, a biopic about that band, right? <laughs> I am, yeah. Again, another producer um, approached me, and um, I mean that was my band when I was growing up. You know, because my brother by that time was into Cream and Hendrix, and you know all that kind of stuff, and the small faces that can then kind of you know split into the faces and Humble Pie was my whole kind of reason for being huh. <laughs> at a particular time. You know what I mean? It was just. There's something about Stevie Marriott's voice, and you know, he I mean, he was a you know, kind of you know, he was almost like a feral kid from East London, white kid with with a voice like a soul voice you just never screaming soul rock voice you've never heard before in your life. It was insane, and um, loved it. It must be, 
I don't know. Like, how do you feel now? And you, you mentioned them that they impacted you growing up, and now you're, you know, you're working on a film about them. It's almost like your your career's come full circle. I mean, not to say it's completed, but in, do you feel that way? That maybe this is a project that's something that that you've always wanted to do. Um, I hadn't really thought about it until again this producer Bill Chamberlain kind of called me about it, and I've kind of avoided biopics in the past I mean even now you know there's rumblings about you know people trying to develop a George Michael you know thing like a Freddie Mercury thing or Elton John thing but it's not I've always found those things like yeah they may be huge kind of money making enterprises but you know if you've worked with a particular artist or a particular person you kind of thought of of doing something that's kind of recreating them and the person you knew is, I, I, I kind of resist that kind mm. of stuff. Do you know what I mean? I just find it a bit weird, a bit odd. But small faces I never worked with, I never knew them. So it's slightly different. To me, they're, they're almost like cartoon characters in a, in a funny kind of way. But what's interesting about them for me was, you know, I was born and raised in London. They were from London. And, you know, they kind of, you know, they happened in the shadow of, the likes of the Stones and the Beatles, they were kind of very, very raw. I mean, they were, you know, I just, I was fascinated by them growing up. So when the producer approached me and the more research I did, um, the more I, I, you know, thought, yeah, this, this could actually work really, really well. And there was also at the time a, a, um, a kind of mu- a musical about small faces that was running in London in in a smaller theatre. It wasn't like a big musical, like a Vita or anything like that. And I went to see it, and it was really bad. <laughs> so, so I thought, you know, I'd like, you know, I'd always like films like Quadrophenia and stuff like that. So I kind of worked on a way that um, that might, you know, I, you know, had a, an idea about how one might develop that as a as a proper movie. So. I pitched it back to Bill, the producer, and he liked it. So we're just getting the script written at the moment. Awesome. Were you um, just not, since you you mentioned it because George Michael is just one of the the iconic artists that you've worked with. Were you approached about a movie for him, or is that just an idea that's floating around in the you know the scuttlebutt of the you know directors and, and writers? Is that something that people are actively working on? They're not working. They're, they've, I know about it because they've approached the estate and, and stuff like that. And, and, you know, I'm quite close to the estate, so I get to hear these kind of things. But, you know, it's – they're kind of – I don't think no one's actively working on it because I think this, it's still very raw for the estate. I mean, he only passed, you know, three years ago. So I know. It would be – It would be pretty raw for them if that happened, I think. So I, they're resisting that at the moment. And, and I'm not encouraging it either, to be fair. Completely understandable. I agree with that. It is too soon. And you really, unless it's something that the estate and his family wanted, it's just like, it just seems like it would just be for, for money. And it, it, that's, I'm sure that's not, I, coming from somebody who didn't know him, I, I would doubt that's something that he would want. No, he would not want that. Because um, we got a ton of, of fan questions for you. and oh, really? <laughs> uh, people are, I mean... You know, I, I people are usually very excited because I get very cool guests on here, even if they're sometimes not marquee names. That you know, pe- I have a very intelligent audience, and they come up with great questions. Cool. But it was just, you know, overboard with you, which is great. Um, the first one is because your first, I guess, feature um, that you, you that you worked on was Highlander Three. Is that correct? It is correct. Yeah. 
do you, I mean, I don't want to say it, but do you normally get that joke that, oh, I thought there was only one? I know, I know, it's terrible. I do, I do get that joke. I mean, yeah, <laughs> Sorry. I got involved in the third one um, because Russell Mulcahy did the first and then and the second, but the second one was, everyone agreed it was a bit of a, a thumper. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't that good or very well received. And and my brief, you know, for the third one from the producers was remake the first movie, uh-huh. which, uh, which kind of I, I mean I was that I was just kind of young and naive at the time. How old were you um, at this time? I don't know, mid thirties or something. Okay. Um, and um, I had a really tough experience on that. I was. Um, in Montreal, and I, th- you know, I thought we, I was going to be able to post in London and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, there was various, uh, you know, I can't really say anything because it's, I don't want to get in that kind of libel thing, but it was a very tough shoot. Um, and some money fell out for various reasons. And I, I revowed after that. I mean, the film's okay. Um it's there's some good sequences in it, but it's it's not you know it's not really a patch on the first one. It's better than the second one, but I just <laughs> okay. um, I just didn't want to go near movies after that. I just it oh, just wow. beat the crap out of me basically, mm. and um, and I didn't really want to go anywhere near film for years. I just so that's kind of when then after that I kind of moved from commercials, uh, sorry, from music videos into commercials. Okay, um, and made a whole career out of that. So. Um, yeah, it was. Um, it was. It was. Uh, I look back on it quite fondly now, but at the time it was tough. It was really tough. Well, I can't, a learning experience, I'm sure. Yeah. A lear- it sounds yeah. like a big learning experience for sure. It was. Yeah. Oh well, the specific question. This is from uh, Jan Michael, so it ties in your filmmaking with your, um, you know, directing music videos. He, I guess, there is a rumor that you wanted uh, Guns N' Roses to be on the soundtrack. And Axel supposedly refused because of Mario Van Peebles. Is that true? That is true. <laughs> Who, who's mad at Mario Van Peebles? How, how did that happen? Like, can you I talk about? He was mad at, I don't think he was mad at him. He just, it, uh, I mean, yeah. not a fan of his acting. Yeah, I just don't think he was into him at all. And um, and I think you know he he was interested actually in doing something for for my film, but. You know, because Queen had done the first one, he was such a huge Queen fan. Right. But, um, but um, he just wasn't keen on Mario. And I think there were other reasons as well. I think the band were in a kind of, you know, they'd come off that Use Your Illusion tour and it was all, you know, during that whole time they'd lost Izzy and all that kind of stuff. And I just think, even if he'd wanted to do it, I don't know if there was the dynamic within the band was conducive to doing it there's a lot of people kind of you know pulling in different directions hmm all right well i appreciate your uh you answering that thanks uh jan michael for that question this is from uh carly what was your first initial impression of guns of roses how did that relationship start well i was they'd seen a video i'd done father figure for george michael mm-hmm. which really was very narrative and george doesn't even perform in it other than act in it and um, and they'd seen that and it won, you know, best director or whatever MTV awards. Um, and um, 
I was contacted by a friend of Axel called Josh Richmond, who was in his kind of inner circle at the time. Um, and they, he'd had developed a kind of trilogy idea with a guy, a writer called Del James. Mm-hmm. Um, Axel had. And they wanted to talk to me about that. And I went to with Josh to meet Axel originally. And um, they had the idea, f- they kind of didn't really go through November rain or, or estranged, but they had the kind of initial idea for for Don't Cry. And um, we kind of sat down and I kind of you know, dissected what Dell had written and you know thought what we could do or what we couldn't do and what elements of performance needed to be in there and you know what you know, and then it would throw up things like, you know, always had to be a bit for Slash, you know, around the solos and all that kind of stuff. And so kind of Don't Cry was the template for the other big three videos going forward. So Don't Cry was the, the first one that you did with them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how was your experience, I get with, with meeting Shannon, uh, Shannon Hoon? Well, I didn't, I mean, I only really met him on the roof. Okay. <laughs> you know, when, you know, Axel announced to me that Shannon was going to, you know, sing along with it. I, you know, I think he'd sung on the record, but so yeah. I, I, hadn't, I hadn't met him or had a meeting with him, but he kind of turned up and, you know, was part of that kind of crazy performance we did on the top of of the building in, in LA with helicopter, police helicopters flying about, you know, deliberately flying about with, you know, big, big uh, spotlights coming in. <laughs> it was, we shut down um, that part of LA that evening. Oh, wow. Pretty much. It, you know, it was, uh, but it wasn't done like a Beatles or a U2 thing, which, which was supposed to generate a reaction from crowds or anything. It was just a kind of, how, how spectacular could we get, really? <laughs> so that's, um that's the interesting thing about your, your specific Guns N' Roses resume, the, the kind of bare bones videos that you've done on Garden of Eden versus Estranged where it's so grandiose. So this is from a friend of ours also over the UK. This is from uh, from Andrew. Uh, he goes, Estranged is my favorite song, but Garden of Eden is my favorite video. It must have been nice to do something so simple but damn cool as opposed to a Hollywood production. Did you look at it that way? Like how did you feel about this, the, the opposite ends of the spectrum, so to speak, uh, as far as filmmaking? Well, I engineered that video, Garden okay. of Eden. I, I had done the three big videos okay. and was felt I was in the middle of some kind of Spinal Tap movie by <laughs> that stage. Because <laughs> one minute Stephanie was in and then she was out and then Axel wanted dolphins. And, you know, I mean, it was just, it was, you know, people have asked me since then to, you know, analyze, you know, even people have done kind of, you know, college degrees about it and stuff like that. Right, right. There, there is no analysis. There is no hidden kind of symbolism and all that. It was, it was just a bit anarchic, but kind of grandiose for, you know, because they were kind of the biggest band in the world at the time. And, and so it kind of suited them in a weird kind of way, but we were shooting another video, um, um, the garden, um, which is a kind of simple black and white performance thing. And I went, Slash had been talking to me about they were going to do the Spaghetti Incident, this album, right? 
Mm-hmm. And um, oh, we're just going to go in and lay it down really quickly. And I, and I said, well, there's a couple of tracks like that on Use Your Illusion. I said, you know, Garden of Eden. I said, that to me, that sounds like a punk record. Mm-hmm. You know, and he goes, yeah, you're right. And then he said, to be honest, we might be playing stadiums and doing these huge videos. He said, but really, you know, we're the most comfortable when we're just thrashing it out like Garden of Eden. And I went, man, you've got to make a fucking video for that. He goes, well, I don't know, you know. And Axel had come that day and he was late and he was a bit cranky and all that. And I said, he said, well, you can ask Axel. Because I said, I've got an idea. I've got an idea to do a one-shot video with a fisheye lens and we just should do it. We're here. We should fucking do it. You know, we're doing that. And he said, well, it's not even going to be a single slasher. I said, I, 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 it doesn't matter. I think we should just capture that. You know, you've, you've talked to me about how enthusiastic you are about, you know, in reality, you're a punk band, not, you know, whatever. Um, he said, we well, can ask Axel. He said, well, I bet he's, he'll say no. He doesn't want to do it. So I go to Axel and me and the uh, DP, Daniel Pearl, um, who's my go-to DOP at the time, brilliant DOP. And we said to Axel, and, and Daniel was totally on board with this because I'd mentioned to him a couple of hours earlier and he'd had a, a, a fisheye lens sent down from the from the uh, camera house. And we had these, also these kind of um, uh, special, um, um, I forgot what they were called, something Lux uh, lights, which you basically would flash in time with the, you know, the... Um, the gate when the film's going through the gate but if you offset them so they're not in time you get these kind of this weird kind of pixelated kind of look to it so we had those lights anyway and daniel went oh why don't we try and dial that in because not only a one-shot video but you could have give it a really interesting look so we approached axel and he was going well, i don't know I, you know, he was tired he was a bit cranky he was you know whatever he was moved that day and i said to him look just give me one take, okay? Just give me one take. And if you don't like, you know, we can watch it back on the monitor. If you don't like it, fine. We'll just leave it at that. So I managed to persuade him to do it. Wow. And um, we did one take, and he, and he had a look at it. He went, this is fucking amazing. And then we did like, we did like five or six takes and then we did you know a few versions in post with the bouncing ball over the lyrics and all that kind of stuff and we just had fun for and in a funny kind of way i think not only for me but for the band as well it was a kind of relief to do something that was kind of back to their roots that was that wasn't had all the pressure of all the big money on the videos and you know half the band not turning up on time or i mean you know or I just think it was just one of those great moments where, you know, I'm glad I pushed pushed the envelope and 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 in a funny kind of way, it's it's I would say it's my favourite video with them. I mean, I know it's a weird thing to say with the Vimbrain, you know, it's won all these things and it's an iconic video and yeah, it's an amazing video. But in a weird kind of in a person personal way, I love Garden of Eden. I think that's amazing because you're you're not alone. I know I. Before I, I did this Guns N' Roses podcast when I was just a normal boy, a normal Guns N' Roses fan, you know, November Rain blew me away. And that's what really got me into, you know, the band and, and rock music, really, because I thought this was just this is what I want a rock band to be. But I remember the, still the, also the first time I saw Garden of Eden, I'm like, that's also what I want a rock band to be. So that's what it just made the both spectrums uh, for me, G&R, 
why I love them so much, but the fact that it, it took some convincing and it's just and it, you, you did push it. And uh, I mean, I think history um, shines very it, it shines well on that video and it's still a high regard. I think it shows a, a great side to the band Axel's faces. You know, did you tell did he just do that on his own? You know, licking the the microphone, doing silly faces. Uh, what about like um, Teddy Zigzag dancing in the background? Is that all you, or did, how did that come about? It just kind of happened. I mean, you know, I said we're in the Swissshire Lanes, we're sticking the mic there, and because it's a manic track, he kind of performed it like that. And because of this kind of these kind of lux lights, which were you know, which was giving a slightly pixelated view, it makes it look feel really manic. It, it, the other people wandering out, of, you know, there's a great moment in one of them where you know the roadie pushes one of the guys i've forgotten who it is back into frame and yeah. stuff like that and i just never cut I, you know the, the worst thing you can do when you're doing a take or something like that which is a one time stop take is to is to stop it because their 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 kind of energy was so you know adrenaline was so high to, to go cut cut and that's you know he wandered out of frame they go fuck that you know what i mean mm. so it was excuse me Swear. No, it's okay. But, um, it's, but, um, but, it, but also, once they all saw what it was, they all got it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They all got it. They knew how the guy, you know, and that's why, you know, Slash then comes up to the camera to do his little solo and <laughs> Axel backs off and starts dancing. I mean, they just got it. It was just. I mean, Daniel Pearl said it was probably the greatest moment he'd ever filmed in rock and roll. Wow. <laughs> which, which I thought was. Pretty, you know, well, good praise, really. It, it is, and especially compared with the other scenes you're involved in. So I got to get to the more grandiose scenes. And these are, you know, I want to give these, um, you know, while they're my questions as well, I want to give credit to the, the listeners and show, you know, how much your work is, is appreciated by everyone. This is from uh, James uh, Lansbury. Who came up with the uh, desert guitar solo scene in November Rain? And how many takes was that one? Well, that is an interesting one as well because because we've done November Rain and everyone liked you know uh, sorry we done Don't Cry and everyone had liked Slash driving the car off the cliff and then kind of res you know so you think he's gone with the car and the girl and camera comes up through the broken barrier and finds him doing the solo I mean it kind of was you know absolutely bonkers and ridiculous but everyone loved it. So it became this kind of like, how can we outdo that, you know, the, the, the guitar solo, you know, in the next video. So, you know, because it, became, it had already become this thing where Slash had his moment and stuff like that. And um, so I had this idea. It, it was kind of, this was never in the original storyboard, but, it, you know, he, they're in the church. And, and I think originally when Slash starts to walk out, if I remember, that big church, mm -hmm. after, after he's given... Axel the Ring. I think, I think first time that happened was Slash was like, "I got to get out," you know, because we've been in this church for hours, and he just, "I need a cigarette." So, and, and literally, when I was about to call cut, he just turned and walked out. <laughs> <laughs> Not because he was pissed off or anything. He just was like, "I, I, I don't know." He just kind of had that kind of happened. He walked out, and we were still discussing even when we were, at that stage, even though we were in production and we were shooting how to um how to um you know then bring in the solo and so that night it gave me an idea and i went to slash and i said look i've got this take of you you know turning and walking out why don't we then use that to transition into 
you walking out of a completely different church in the middle of nowhere. Hmm. And, and he went, oh, that's a, that's a, you know, sounds like a good idea. Well, it was one of those things that, you know, you talk up an idea and it nearly doesn't happen because I then spent the next week or so traveling around southern states, you know, looking for a white church in the middle of nowhere, you know, from New Mexico to, you know, every, I mean, everywhere. I mean, you know, Arizona or all these kind of places. Something was, that wasn't too far from LA, but was far enough to maybe find a white Baptist okay. church how do you or go, like How do you go about that? Because, you know, today you just use Google Earth. How do you go about finding this <laughs> random church in the middle of nowhere? Well, you call people in various places like Austin or Santa Fe or, you know what I mean? Yeah, but places that have a kind of, um, you know, have a a film kind of culture or okay. infrastructure. And, you know, there'll be location people that go, oh, yeah, you should have a look at that. And that's what happened with, out of New Mexico. With, there's a guy who said, oh, yeah, there's a ranch down here where they shot young guns. You know, it's like a Western ranch. Yeah. And there's a church in there, and I think it's on a pallet, and you can drag it out into the middle of... Into the middle of the you know desert basically, oh. and that's what we did. I mean, there's nothing inside that church. We basically dragged it out on a pallet in the middle of nowhere, put a you know white fence around it, and basically used it to um, you know to do that transition where he walks out and plays in this most epic fucking guitar solo you've ever seen in your life. Now, there's a um, it's an interesting thing that because. I think we only did about nine takes, but I had four or five cameras, and 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 then a, we had a helicopter that came in and did a couple of takes as well. Um, so I mean, literally, we threw everything at it, you know, um, you know, steady cam, handheld. I mean, we, you name it, we did it. And there's a very interesting story about that bit of the shoot because when we were in the hotel in um, Santa Fe, there was. Uh, a, another photographer who became a director, um, Anton Corbine, who made the, the movie Control. Um, and he was a photographer then, and, but he'd kind of done some music videos with people like Depeche Mode and stuff like that. And I knew him because we'd been at the same company, Vivid, in London years before. And so I ran into him in the hotel and he goes, oh, Andy, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm shooting, you know, Guns N' Roses video. And he goes, oh, I'm, I'm not... He was out there doing a you know a photography assignment for Stern or some uh, German magazine or whatever. And he said, God, "Can I come out and see you shoot?" You know, I said, "Yeah." So he came out and we he saw this kind of helicopter and slash, you know, doing this thing. And he turned to me and he goes, "God, Andy, he says, that's incredible." He said, "Is this the whole video?" I went, "No, it's about thirty seconds." <laughs> <laughs> Which rather put it into perspective, really. Um, but we made it. I mean, it, the, you know, that has become the iconic, so you know, guitar solo from a from a music video. I think you know, one of one of the. Did you the did you know at that time when you were filming it? I mean, you obviously knew you were going into this video with the the biggest band in the world at the time, and you know, it's a long song. It's it's over the top. So you knew it was something special. But did you know it would have the the life and become the iconic? Not just for it being expensive, but just for those scenes all these years later. Did you get any well, sense just, while you were filming? Yeah, I mean, you knew this, you know, when he, you know, Slash walks out and plays there and you start to see the stuff on the monitors as you're filming it, you go, fuck, I've never seen anything like this. This is amazing. And 
you, you know, our excitement grew as the video grew. I mean, yes, it's bonkers and it's all over, you know, there's things that inexplicable, but that's kind of where, in, in a funny kind of way, that's where the, the, you know, the band's heads were at at the time. You know what I'm saying? It mm -hmm. was, you know, Axel was kind of off on this thing and, you know, had these big ideas and, and you know, I, I think at first and some of the band didn't even want to do videos as big as that, but I mean, the proof was in the pudding. You know, as soon as they started making, you know, Use Your Illusion had done, I think, you know, 12, 14 million by when they started doing the big videos and, you know, the albums went, went to over 25 million after that. You know what I'm saying? So, he had a really good sense of kind of where the band were at. And I also think, you know, they kind of lost Izzy at that point. And he, it was part of him wanting to make a huge statement, you know, and, and yeah, you know, they're not, they're big opuses and they're long songs and they're not, you know, paradise city or, you know, whatever, but it was that phase at their time really kind of reflected where they were at, I think. And I think, you know, for a lot of people, you know, I even had, people like, you know, Sophia Coppola's assistant calling up saying, could she, you know, buy the storyboards from us and all that, which mm. I didn't, I've kept them and stuff. But I think, you know, for a certain, you know, certain genre at the time and, you know, the way that MTV was at the time where, you know, videos were really important. They weren't wallpaper, you know, they had huge, you know, kind of, you know, global kind of, releases and premieres and stuff like that i think it became a kind of seminal moment for a lot of fans and a lot of people so yeah i didn't kind of anticipate that but you know it is the video that keeps on giving when <laughs> i mean again i think it's it surpassed a billion views right recent yeah. in the last year i mean that's wow yeah. just wow um you, you just mentioned uh, sofia coppola she did she approach you to make a movie about it for the storyboard? What's um? I, I no, wanted... no, she just wanted to, you know, she just loved the video apparently. Oh, right? so she just wanted it as a collectible? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you got to keep that stuff. No, I got it. <laughs> do, you, do you have it on display or do you have like a... Um, a no, I got three folders of it and one has my notes in it and I just kind of keep it really for the minute. And um, I'm not really into kind of... In this modern age of kind of exploitation, and yeah, yeah, I mean, at some point, I'll, I think I might frame the, the stuff where I've got my notes written on it and stuff like that. Well, I mean, I can't even imagine what you have. Um, this is also um, another question. Obviously, plenty of questions. This is from Iman, and this is about another grandiose uh, scene in the estranged video. How did the idea uh, come up about jumping off an aircraft carrier? How was that pitched, and who pitched that? It wasn't. It was an oil tanker. Oh, oh, okay, oil tanker, right. <laughs> it, this was this was a kind of I think it was an idea that that Axel had really that you know he he'd got his you know he'd split up with Stephanie at this point she was not gonna you know he said I don't want a, a girl, another girl in the video I'd rather have dolphins and so we kind of jumped on that and said okay let's let, let's have dolphins and then it kind of madness came from there and he said yeah we could do a transition you know i could jump off this boat and you know and then i'm underwater and then i'm surrounded by dolphins and yeah, i mean it was just bonkers really and <laughs> and uh, but we you know wanted to realize you know part of his vision you know what i'm saying so you know we found out there was this you know there was this 
tanker in Galveston and that, you know, that it was lying offshore waiting to come in and we could use it for a couple of hours. And we had a stunt guy dressed as Axel who, you know, he's on the boat, but he, the guy who actually jumps is not him. Okay. And, um, and then once he, you know, goes down and then you feel Stephanie holding onto his legs. And so by that time she was now going to be in the video and that okay. lasted about, that lasted one day and then they were talking to each other. I mean, it was just, you know, we are kind of making it up as we went along. I got to be honest with you <laughs> to be perfectly truthful. Oh, it doesn't seem that know. way. No, I mean, it just, it was, I don't know. You know, he, he was going through a lot. So, you, you know, one minute was, and then we tried to, you know, the second solo for slash, we ended up, you know, building this rig where he comes out of the choppy water that was shot on a back lot universal in their big tank and stuff like that. And I mean, that was a pretty, you know, outrageous. And that was, you know, probably the most difficult slash solo to, to film. I mean, him floating down sunset was okay. It feels a bit static now and the, and the special effects of the dolphins in the road doesn't really, you know, it's not that great for, to me now, but I think that was kind of the level of the effects at the time. And But I do like the second solo when he's merges out of the raging sea. And, and he did that for real. We had, we built a, an underwater rig, you know, hydraulic rig that lifted him up. You know, we nailed his boots to the, <laughs> to the rig. So he kind of comes, and he, he didn't mind going in and out of the water. He was amazing, absolutely amazing. I mean, to be honest, all of them were pretty amazing on all the videos. They, you know, they really mucked in and ever kind of mad or outrageous the ideas. You know, they were they were all pretty good about, you know, doing stuff or, you know, respecting each other's things. They were, you know, credible, really. Good. No, no, that's that's always good to hear. Um, yeah. This is from, and I, I certainly am not going to keep you for forever, because um, I, I and I apologize for all the questions that I can get to. Uh, this is from uh, Nick Duguay. He wants to know another iconic scene. Whose idea or did this just happen about uh, jumping into the cake for the whole, uh, you know, the, the the pinnacle of the November rain scene, like that whole chaotic who, you know, jumping into the cake. How did that happen? Well, I think we, you know, we. <laughs> It was a bit of a bet with Ricky Rachman, who's actually the one that goes through the cake, who was who did that, that you know, that late night rock and roll show. I don't know if it was uh, MTV or was it on a Yeah, it was uh, Headbangers Ball on MTV. Headbangers Ball and, and he'd come you know, he's sitting there and the you know, he was part of he was a mate of Axel's and and I was saying to Axel, you know, we need to have someone like, Trash the table. It wasn't really the cake things there. And Ricky was like, "I'll go through the cake." And, and Axel went, "Yeah, I want to see that." <laughs> <laughs> and, and literally, we only, you know, had one chance at it, and he did it. Basically, it was a bit of fun that you know everyone. Oh my god, are we are we actually going to use this? But um, they, everyone thought it was pretty funny, so we did. Do you? I'm sure you get all, asked all the time. What happened to Stephanie? Like, how did she die? Or is that left up on uh, for interpretation? That's deliberately ambiguous. Okay, that's that's lit. That is ambiguous. Um, then, how did you come up with? I guess the the coffin where half her, her face is covered. Was that just to make it look cool, or is that part of the story? Because I mean, that's part of the, the ambiguity, basically. Okay. So you know the impression that maybe someone. <laughs> 
<laughs> shot half her face off. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but it was kind of part of the, the fun, you know, you see them in Don't Cry wrestling with a, with a gun and stuff like that. I mean, I mean, to be fair, you know, the Del James short story or trilogy or whatever was pretty specific, but it, it kind of got stretched out into different things depending on kind of where Axel's head was at the time and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? And sure. You know, he went through, through some pretty messy stuff with, with, with Stephanie, especially while we were doing Estranged, so it all became a little bit like, you know, it, it was never quite resolved and, and, and stuff like that. But I think kind of in the end he wanted to, he didn't mind that. You know, he, he was smart enough to know that it would, in the years to come, it would throw up more questions than answers, and he quite liked that. <laughs> yeah, I think um, we GNR fans, because they're a band that doesn't give you much, uh, but we eat it up <laughs> regardless. No, absolutely, yeah. You've touched on it a few times, and if you don't want to go into it, you don't. You know, if it's not your place to say, but this is a question from uh, from Ken Begora, because you mentioned Axel's mood at the time, and you know, I'm not the kind of uh, broadcaster that I'm looking for for dirt. I'm just, you know, maybe a generic feeling. Uh, was it a united band atmosphere at the time? Did you notice a difference in the band from video to video? You know, whether that depended on Axel's relationship with Stephanie. Or was it, you know, hey, these are my, my boys from Guns N' Roses and here we are on another project. Was there any sort of difference or just, in a way, business as usual, if you can do that with a band like GNR? Yeah, they were pretty much they were together on it. Um, I mean, Axel had his, uh, his own personal issues, which I don't really feel qualified to talk about. I understand. Than, you know, he, he was going through stuff with, with Stephanie, which, which was pretty much, you know, out in the open about, you know, whatever. But in terms of the band, they were pretty together. I mean, they, you know, they, they, they'd kind of segmented, you know, the, you know, the bands and their girlfriends and, you know, some had di slightly different managers and, you know, and, but, you know, it was pretty together. I mean, I, I never saw any kind of angst between them. Yeah, you might be waiting for one member. You might be waiting for another member or somebody didn't show up. One, You know, but that was kind of nature of the beast. But I have to say I was lucky, you know, in the sense that at the time it was kind of pre-fragmentation, if you know what I mean. Um, okay. That kind, that all kind of happened after Spaghetti Incident. And um, I, I was off. I was off doing Highlander 3 by then. So I never really saw that kind of you know, disintegration of the band or the angst between them and that. So I was pretty lucky in that respect. And everyone kind of mucked in, you know, they were still, yeah, you know, Izzy had left and I didn't know Izzy particularly or anything, but it just, you know, there was still, and I think Axel was hurting about that as well um, at the time. You know, that was his kind of, you know, the three, you know, him, Axel and Slash were the, were the kind of engine room of the band really at the time. And I think... Um, you know, and that's not to say anything, you know, against um, Duff or anything like that. But, you know, I think it hurt Axel more than the others. But they would, you know, they were, they were, I was lucky. They were pretty together and, you know, into the ideas and kind of, you know, and, and kind of getting the most out of it. So, yeah, I, I only really had positive kind of. That's great. I mean, you know, yeah. engineer, you know, kind of, it, there was nothing engineered or, or, or con contrived. It was, it was, they were very positive. That's, that's great to hear. 
Uh, here's a really, and this is a different video, really nerd question, which I appreciate. This is from Mr. Anderson from San Antonio. Um, he loves all your videos, especially yesterday's. Whose idea was the uh, the classic style microphone that was used? Um, sorry, no, yesterday's was the one that, sorry, wasn't the, when we shot Garden of Eden, we were shooting yesterday's, I've just remembered, sorry, it wasn't the garden, it was called, it was yesterday. Um... I think Axel would requested it. He wanted okay. to have an old style kind of microphone. I don't think it was a contrivance that I'd forced on him or anything, but it kind of helped us out when we did the Garden of Eden because <laughs> it looked great too. And, and I used to remember it's it's so funny how you know that was filmed close with the uh, with some other videos, but the look was different. You know, Axel with the, the ponytail and Slash with the different hat, and but it just is worked. You know, even even the most simplistic videos, those subtle changes, you know, fans obviously pick up on. Yeah, I just I just wanted to again, even though it was the same day we shot Garden of Eden, it was a it was a kind of more relaxed kind of warehouse video, if you know what I mean. It was not. It was supposed to be the opposite of Big Bang kind of stage, you know, kind of you know all the bells and whistles and stuff like that. It was supposed to be a bit more kind of organic and edgy and, and just kind of a bit rough, if you know what I mean. You know, so it, so it just felt kind of more naturalistic in that respect. All right. Uh, let me get one more question in here for you. Uh, this is from Josephine Third. Uh, were you ever contacted later about making any videos for Chinese democracy? No. Okay. I wasn't. Um, but, you know, that's fine. I mean... I don't know if they even made any videos around Chinese. Ones. No, I mean there's there's one that's uh, has leaked around the internet that might be the better video, but who knows if it's a fan made or if it's an official one. But uh, officially, there are no videos for Chinese democracy. No, I wasn't. I mean, you know, it's 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 one of those things. People think you know because I did so much work with them that you know we're we're on the phone to each other every other week. We're, but, you know, it's a phase of your life. You go through it, and they move on, and you move on, and you know, and I, it's not something that I particularly, you know, fret about or anything. And I'm proud of the body of work we did together, and I'm sure they are. And it's, um, you know, I'd rather have, you know, you know, if they want to revisit that, that's up to them. But you know, it's, I've always felt it's the, you know, it's like what we did with George Michael. You know, I did a lot of stuff with him. I didn't do everything with him. You know, and that's always the artist's prerogative, and you know, I think any music video director would endorse that. You know what I'm saying? So sure. And I just want to read this one last comment because I want to get because uh, I I appreciate everyone who submitted questions. This is more of us a comment. I, I want you to hear. Uh, this is from uh, from Troy. Uh, he doesn't have any specific questions, but asked questions about Garden of Eden and yesterday's, which we have. Uh, the others are epic and, of course, get all the attention and praise over the years, but Garden of Eden and Yesterday's are two of the best videos they've ever done and two of my all-time favorites. So simple uh, but very effective. So it just shows the, you know, not just the vision of Axel, but what you're able to, what you are able to accomplish uh, specifically just from the, the, the bare bones to the over-the-top that you're able to to do it all. That doesn't seem to be a challenge for you that you can't, face including highlander three you get through it yeah i mean that's that's great for someone to say that i mean you know but i am proud of that that i you know in the end managed to get him to do some things that maybe they hadn't thought of doing before so it kind of 
was to me blindingly obvious that they were, you know, were, were you know, essentially a band, not a band playing, you know, stadiums. You know, they were actually there was some punk ethic in there. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not just a heavy metal band, and I always like that about them. So, you know, I'm glad that I could, you know, they respected me enough, and I respected them for letting me do it. You know. Uh, I I can't even imagine where like how where do they rank? Because again, you've worked with so many iconic people, whether it's Luther Vandross or George Michael or Ozzy. It's you've done so many. It's it's like iconic videos and songs and artists. Do you, like are you able to without any sort of slight to any others? Is there one artist or band or group in particular that you're like that you look back now and you're like wow? I can't believe this happened in my life. Is there one that stands out above the others? Well, Guns are definitely up there with George Michael. Um, there was a particular video I did for Tina Turner called Steamy Windows. That was just like, I, I could barely speak when I was doing that one. <laughs> um, yeah, but George and, and, and Guns were definitely probably the, the two most iconic artists and favorite videos I did for people. Awesome. Um, in the end, I, you know, I, I can really single them out. I've been lucky enough to work with some amazing people, and then they say it's not to the detriment of others. But exactly, those, those two, those two were amazing. Awesome. Well, uh, Andy uh, Morahan, I, I can't thank you enough for the time that you've given me today and answering my questions and the listener questions. Obviously, your your work is up there with anybody else's. You know, you you your your resume is uh, as impressive as anyone's, and the fact that you're 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 continuing, you know. Again, I'm looking on your your website, and your at least eight projects you're work currently working on at the time. What is the best way for people? Is it is it your website, AndyMorahan.com, for people to keep uh, yeah. up to date with everything yeah. going on? Yeah, I update it pretty regularly. All right, awesome. Well, Andy, th- again, thank you for your time. Um, very much appreciated, and uh, I hope we get to do this again. And Brandon, it, I really enjoyed that. That was great. Good questions, and thanks very much for taking the time. How cool was that? For real. I mean, these are videos just like I'm sure every single one of you listening grew up watching and has the, the same passion for, whether it is the over-the-top November rain or estranged or the, the bare-bones silliness of a Garden of Eden. And can you believe that almost the video almost did not happen? So thank you, Andy Morahan, <laughs> for making Garden of Eden happen and and just the creativity of these iconic scenes that kind of were like happy accidents. You know, the the dare between Ricky Rackman and Axel about jumping in the cake. But that's something that we all remember still all these years later. So uh, I asked as many questions as I could. Obviously, I could have kept him here forever. And we felt like we only would have scratched the surface because it's not just Guns N' Roses this guy has worked with. It's... No, uh, it's Aerosmith. It's Michael Jackson. Ah, I wish I asked him about Michael Jackson now that I'm saying it out loud. Um, bon Jovi, you know, Ozzy, Paul McCartney. I mean, the guy's resume is insane. I was, I got to be honest with you, I was so surprised how quickly he responded to my, my, uh, my request to be interviewed and just how nice he was. Because you just never know. With somebody with this kind of a resume, you, you don't know. If they have, not like I heard anything or expected him to have like an ego, but just how down to earth and how approachable he is. As approachable as you can be via Skype in the UK and when I'm in Queens, but you, you know what I mean. So, uh, And before I go, I have to thank somebody 
for helping me set up this interview. Uh, maybe not directly. Uh, I shouldn't say directly, but uh, you guys are are fantastic with guest suggestions. So this was through uh, mygnrforum.com. And if you are on the forum, you can always message me there as well. My username on there is gambit83. I was a big uh, X-Men Gambit fan growing up. I know his powers aren't very cool, but he, he looked cool and he got girls. I think that's why I like him so much. Anyway, I'm, but I digress. So this is from, uh, let me see, GNR Persia on, on my GNR forum. And her name is Adele, uh, or Adel, forgive me, because it's spelled like Adele, but without the E at the end. But anyway, GNR Persia on my GNRforum.com sent me a message, I don't know, not that long ago to suggest Andy Morahan. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, that's a name. I haven't, I haven't reached out to yet for whatever reason. Maybe because I didn't think I would get him. Sometimes that happens. And your, your, just your suggestion made me do it. And look what we got. We got nearly an hour with the guy. So uh, thank you, uh, GNR Persia, rather than just screwing up your potentially screwing up your name again. So uh, that does it for this episode of Appetite for Distortion. What will you see on the next one? I have no idea. I am blown away. I am blown away by the episodes that you help me uh, continue to put out. So thank you to all of you, whether you listen on iHeartRadio, Spreaker, you found us on AlternativeNation.net. Oh, and I, ha- I don't think I've mentioned this on the podcast either. You can now find the podcast on the um, the website for Q1043.com. Q1043 is the classic rock station here in New York City. Uh, might be the, the biggest classic rock station in the United States. I've mentioned working on that show before on podcasts, and I think I played you uh, a fun phoner game that um, we did a few months ago to, to give away tickets uh, before this whole Armageddon thing happened uh, with the legendary Jim Kerr, a uh, Hall of Famer. So the fact that I'm kind of in that world, in a way, I'm on the same website as Jim Kerr, you know, and you can hear Eddie Trunk's radio show also on Q1043. So it's a big deal. You know, something that I've always wanted to achieve to be a part of that station and to have. I didn't ask for it either. I didn't go to my program director there and say, hey, I have this podcast. Can you put it on the website? No, if it sucked, if he didn't like it, he wouldn't have done it. But it was his idea. And I was like, really? Okay. So, yeah, you can now find us on Q1043.com if you want. But. You know, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. So again, thanks for hanging out for another episode. In the meantime, please tell a friend about us. Facebook.com slash the AFD show. Twitter at the AFD show. Instagram, we're on there. And anywhere, as I mentioned, you get your podcasts. And you can leave reviews, comments, tell people. And welcome them to the podcast. All right. So until the next one, when will you see it? Well, in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home.